Living God, we thank you for uh, the youth and students in this church, the children in this church, the parents and grandparents um, in this church. We thank you, God, for uh, the ministries that we have uh, into these lives. We pray and ask you to uh, let those ministries deepen and expand. Uh, May this summer be a spark for something um, continued and fresh at the same time. We pray, God, that uh, this would be a church responsible to our children and our youth and that we would help foster uh, and nourish their environment of growth. And uh, we just rejoice in what you have done these uh, first few weeks of the summer and what you will continue to do in the days and weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, we pray it together. Amen. I want to share with you and start this morning by talking about one of my very best friends of all time. As we've gotten older, um, our lives have separated uh, just because of distance and so many things. But um, God put a, a man named Todd, a young man at the time when I met him. I was about 15 years old. And Todd is God's great gift to me at a really critical juncture in my life. Because uh, I've, I've said, maybe here, uh, but to many people, that up to that point in my life, I really was on a one-way street to Hoodlumville. I was getting in all sorts of trouble. I was making a lot of really lousy decisions and a lot of decisions that, had they continued, would have gotten me into all sorts of trouble, not just slaps on the hands, but uh, uh, all sorts of other trouble. (laughs) Um, Had I continued to go in the course that I was going, part of that was because of some of the friends I had. And God put Todd in my life my first year of high school, uh, and through that relationship, uh, Todd was more than just just a buddy. He was a spiritual friend to me. And it was through his relationship to me that kept me strong. It kept me focused on my relationship with the Lord. And uh, I'm so grateful for Todd. I spent a lot of time at his house during my high school years. And uh, a lot of things got broken at his house <laughs> relating to me. Uh, one time I, I slipped off a brick wall and hit my head on the car and I split my forehead open. And so my head was broken one time. I dove into a swimming pool and hit my face on the bottom and it broke my tooth out. And uh, a young lady, long before I met Susan, but she broke up with me at Todd's house. And so I had a broken head, a broken tooth, and a broken heart all at Todd's house. And so many memories there at Todd's house. And uh, I'd love to share more if I had time, but um, as we moved off into college, um, we came back for a couple of summers during our college years and were youth interns for the youth ministry at our church. And uh, Todd was just a guy, because of his presence in my life, kept me from returning back to some old patterns and some old habits in my life that really would have become quite destructive for me. Some habits in my family that have been quite destructive in our family's life. But it was because of Todd's presence And there's no other way to explain it. Todd was God's great gift for me. We were best men in each other's weddings uh, as the years progressed. And uh, so much so were we committed to one another that Todd, uh, because of travel, when he came up to Victoria, B.C. for our wedding, he uh, could only leave so late and the time window was so short and he got stuck in the Seattle airport and slept there for about eight hours on the floor waiting for uh, the, the flight to arrive and for him to get on. And uh, in fact, Susan saw him for the very first time as she walked down the aisle and he stood there at the altar with me. And uh, they actually met for the very first time after our wedding was concluded. But that's the type of friend that Todd and I were to each other, that we would move mountains 
funds for each other. We would support each other. And more importantly, it was because of our life wrapped around church and the ministry of the church that both of our spiritual lives had deep roots. And we were able to support and encourage each other um, to continue to make good decisions. After my first full year of college, I came back that summer... And uh, I was, Todd wasn't even in town, but I, I went to visit his parents because they were like a second set of parents to me. And they said they'd been packing up some uh, items of Todd's from his bedroom and putting them in boxes and storing them away. And they'd come across the Bible he used to use a lot during his high school years. And they, they had opened it up and it, it fell open to Proverbs chapter 18. And they noticed that in his own handwriting, my name was written in the margin. And they read the verse by which it was written. And it was this, that there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And he had my name written there. Todd was just such a great gift. And I, I want to tell our students this morning that, you know, there are a lot of prayers prayed by me and your parents and others in this church probably other family members. They pray prayers of deep seriousness that you students would have friends who could support you and be spiritual friends for you in your lifetime, especially at critical junctures. And we pray that God might provide those types of people to you. Part of our question today is how do we measure friendship? How would you measure friendship? Sometimes we we measure it by the numbers of friends we have on Facebook, right? I remember when Facebook first started getting traction, and it almost seemed like a competition. How many friends do you have? Well, I've got this many. And, and uh, you would just try to, to see how many friends you could have on Facebook. Sometimes we describe our friendships by the various communities, perhaps, that we're connected to that bring uh, something uh, important to our lives. Uh, things like I'm part of the cycling community, perhaps, or my kids go to this school, and so I'm part of the school parent community here, or I'm part of this music scene and community, or maybe it's the taxidermy community, whatever you happen to do uh, to connect with. But sometimes we we describe friendships and we measure them by the various communities that we're part of. Um, There are certainly factors that can undermine friendships in life. Um, An article from the Mayo Clinic uh, once described some pretty pretty straightforward things. Uh, They talked about self an over-sense of self-focus, of course, can undermine real friendship, can't it? Um, if you get overly into comparing yourself to your friend or getting into an overly edged sense of competition where they uh, perhaps achieve something in their career uh, ahead of you or before you do, and sometimes you begin to measure yourself based on their accomplishment as a peer, lacking an ability to listen to them, when they share things with you, can undermine friendships. I'd like to ask some of our our children, if we have any uh, still here this morning, uh, what do you think makes a bad friend? What are qualities that make a bad friend? Bowen, what do you think? That's hard. I'm putting you on the spot. What makes a bad friend? A lack of attention? A lack of time, a lack of genuine concern for your life. I mean, we could go on down the list. <clears throat> well, God knows that friendship is so, <clears throat> so essential to our lives, but it's also challenging. It can be challenging in our day with the high level of mobility, uh, the, the difficulty in making friends of real quality and depth. Uh, Today we're going to look at briefly, in the time that we have left, uh, a model of friendship. And the one that we find in 
the people of Jonathan and David, mostly found in First and Second Samuel. And what, what is it, especially from Jonathan's commitment to David, do we learn about godly friendships? And then we're going to connect it to a few Proverbs along the way. If you have the second blue sheet, there's a place here for you to put notes, and you may just want to jot down some of the, the references that I mentioned this morning, and you can go back and look at those some more a little bit later. You'll also see uh, down at the bottom, if you would like to take these verses and perhaps reflect on them this coming week, there's uh, some reflection starters for you at the bottom of that uh, piece of paper. But I want to just share with you briefly four, four factors not an exhaustive list by any means, but four factors that we see out of the life and relationship of Jonathan and David about godly friendship. Number one, are you ready? Number one, is a commitment, a commitment for them that went all the way to the borders of life and death. Jonathan and David had a commitment to each other's friends that was so serious that even in the shadow of potential death, they would not relinquish their friendship. In fact, uh, they made a covenant with one another in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And most of the references we're going to read are in between 1 Samuel 18 and the ninth chapter of 2 Samuel. And many I'm just going to refer to this morning for the sake of time. But in 1 Samuel chapter 18, the Bible says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, who was Saul's son, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved David as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Now, you'll probably recall that David is the one who fought Goliath. David is the one who is the youngest and wimpiest in his family, that his bigger, burlier brothers had already gone off to war to be part of the Israelite uh, defense against the Philistines who were invading. And uh, David's father sends him out to the front lines with some supplies for his older brothers, some food and snacks and probably their favorite candy bars. And he takes them out there and he realizes that there's this Philistine taunting them and nobody in the, the Israelite army is willing to go out and face him. And he says, you know what, I don't care if I'm weak. I don't care if I'm physically unimpressive. But with God's help, I will go and I sense God leading me to be this person. And so we know the story of David and Goliath and how through David, God slays Goliath and prepares him for, prepares Israel for their next chapter of success. David then becomes such a, an important part of Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel. David becomes an important part of his life. He's a, a musician and, and plays music that soothes Saul, uh, Saul's aching soul. But over time, Saul would become quite jealous of David. Because Saul could see the handwriting on the wall. Saul knew that uh, God had already prepared somebody else to replace him as king. Now, Jonathan, as Saul's son, should have been and was the rightful heir to the throne to succeed his father, Saul. And as we see in 1 Samuel 18, when Jonathan takes off his robe and gives him these materials, it's in effect saying, I understand, David, that God is doing something special and unique through you, and I'm going to follow that. But here's what's interesting about it. Later on in chapter 20, as Jonathan, as Saul is getting increasingly more um, suspicious of David, and um, 
uh, he, uh, Jonathan goes and risks his own life for David, going to try to discern what is Saul's intentions toward David. And uh, he shows up and uh, just being asked the question about David, Saul becomes so incensed that he picks up his spear and he throws it as his own son, Jonathan. Jonathan barely escaping with his life. But you know, it's challenges like these that were part of what helped fuse their friendship together. In fact, isn't it true that when we have shared experiences, shared challenges together, that that really exposes the quality of a friendship? It helps us understand, uh, it helps us focus and sharpen much more so on what is really important in life, right? When you go through a trauma, all the things that you've thought maybe have been so important, it gets boiled down and those few really critical things of life emerge as that which is worth holding on to. That's what shared challenges help reveal us to, or reveal to us. You may be one of the people who like to try to live your life in your own strength and not thinking really that you need anybody around you. And it's through shared trials and experiences and difficulties that we begin to see how we need the support of other people, sometimes physically. We need their spiritual support and their emotional help at times. It also deepens our trust of other people. It was sometimes through these times that the relationship, the friendship, the godly spiritual friendship that David and Jonathan had was forged and welded even more closely together. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Somebody who will walk through the challenges of life with you. Number two, is desiring the best. What is a factor in godly friendship is desiring the best for the other person. Desiring God's best for them and desiring their success in their life. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, we read that Jonathan, in very real sense, gives up his throne to David. And he says, look, this is obviously what God has in store. I recognize it. My father Saul the king recognizes it. That's what's ticking him off so bad. But Jonathan says to David, because of our friendship, David wanted God's best. And so even though it wasn't, didn't mean for him to then become king after his father Saul, he submitted himself to what God desired out of his life. And so out of that then, he was willing to surrender his rightful uh, inheritance as the, the king and to give that to David because he recognized that was what God was doing through him and David's life. He rejoices in David's success. Do you struggle sometimes when your peers have success, perhaps on a timetable far in advance of you? If so, that's something you can offer up to God in prayer to uh, give you a heart that, that gives you a delight when your friends succeed because you want the best for them and their life and as it would be multiplied into God's ministry. A third out of four things, that the factors that create the ability to, um, the ability to walk with God is loyalty, to have friendship that is uh, divine with God. David keeps his promise for caring to Jonathan's children long after Jonathan himself dies. Uh, David had made a pact with Jonathan that they would care for one another, and David keeps that. He shows his loyalty even after Jonathan, his friend, 
uh, was dead and buried in the ground. Proverbs 18.24 says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Finally, what factor makes godly friendships a reality? Well, it is the ability for spiritual friends to encourage and to draw out God's best in somebody. It's not just wishing and pursuing the best in others, it's actually encouraging God's best in their friend. It seems to me that the world today loves to have platforms to share opinions. I don't read a lot of blogs. Um, Some of you I know do and love them and benefit from them. Uh, But I find that in some of the blogs and many of the comment sections and articles uh, often are filled with simply impersonal rants, uh, somebody going off on somebody else, filled with insult and innuendo and really in an effort to tear somebody down because people are seeking for a platform to simply share an opinion. But here's the difference with what makes a spiritual friend something different. Is that a spiritual friend is personal rather than impersonal. A spiritual friend loves you enough to tell you the truth about you. I'll say it again. A spiritual friend loves you enough to tell you the truth about you. And why would they do that? Because they love you. It's not because they have an interest in hurting you or humiliating you. They would never do it in a place that that would do that. They want God's best for you. That is the mark of a spiritual friend. They love you enough to speak into your life. And if you're going to be the recipient of a spiritual friend, if I'm going to be that person, I have to be willing to let certain people have that freedom to come and speak truth into my life because I trust that they love me and they desire God's best for me. I had a friend once who I I was, I don't know, griping about something. And this friend uh, simply looked at me and she said, said, are you ever satisfied? Well, at first I was kind of offended. (laughs) I was kind of hurt. I said, what do you mean? Of course I'm satisfied. And after a few minutes, I began, you know, I went off and sulked and um, pouted a little bit. And I, I began to think about it. Why in the world would she say such words to me? And I began to realize, you know, this has very little to do with what she would say. And it it thrusted me into a season of really reflecting on what my life had become at that point. And I realized that really there had been a long season where um, even though there might have been 99 really great things about some event or activity that took place and one area that wasn't so great, you know what I focused on? Was that one little area that wasn't so great. And for some reason that just, that became so central to me. And it helped me realize that even when I would begin to offer um, my, my reflections on things, it would often start with a negative edge about what wasn't great or good. And I began, I realized it was affecting the way I was approaching the Lord. It was affecting the way I was approaching other people and respecting and honoring them. And it didn't take long before I realized what Proverbs 27, 6 says. And this is what it says. Wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. We need to hear that again. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. My friends, we need friends like that in our lives. Now, I realize we don't have them all the time, but you and I both need a friend or two like that who loves us enough to speak the truth into our lives about us. We need it. 
We need it so that we can be sharpened and built up in the way God wants us to be. So here's the question. How about you? Do you have a friend? If you want to be a friend and have friends, of course, you have to be a friend, right? So often we have to take the initiative and go out and pursue friendships like this. Jesus calls each of us to be so deeply loved by Him that it becomes so natural that we might truly learn to love others and to have friendships like this, to befriend them. Do you listen to other people when you have the opportunity? You know, friends aren't going to last very long if you don't have an ability to listen to the depth of their heart and their soul and to respond in kind. It's a give and take relationship. And you have to be willing to sit and listen. Do you have a desire for the best, God's best for them? And to resist the urge to compare yourself overly to their successes or to the things God has developed in them. You know, there, there are opportunities right here in this church for you to develop spiritual friends. In fact, we just finished an hour of Bible study this morning. Every Sunday morning at 9.40, there's an opportunity for you to connect with a Bible community somewhere in this building, whatever age you are, whatever place, station of life you are. It is a regular event and occurrence for you to extend your commitment. Worship is so vital, but it doesn't give us all of the relational depth and connectedness that we need. So adult Bible study, youth Bible study, children's Sunday school, those are all opportunities for everybody in the church to be connected with others. Uh, that's why our hope here in the next few months is to deepen and extend and expand our small group ministries, is to once again offer more midweek opportunities to be connected to one another. We could talk about men's ministry and other ways of personally connecting and making yourself available to discover and to be a spiritual friend in the way and the role and the model of Jonathan and David. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We've sung about Jesus being just such a friend. In fact, one of the last things Jesus said on earth to His closest disciples, He said, you know, I've once called you servants, but I no longer do, because a servant doesn't know what his master desires, but now I call you friends. The greatest friendship you and I can ever have is the friendship that Jesus Himself offers to you to know your name and to walk with you as your constant companion. Every Sunday we try to make evident your opportunity, if you have not made a personal friendship with Jesus in the way that He has made possible, then we would love to have the opportunity to discuss that with you more. Uh, in just a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing our last song, and this will be a chance for you to come and be with us here in the front. Let's pray. Living God, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. We thank You for the model and example of Jonathan and David that teach us about godly friendship. Uh, I know sometimes a sermon like this might prompt longings or sadness in our hearts for perhaps what we don't have at this moment. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that You would use this day, that it would, it would motivate each of us to seek out uh, the types of friends, at least one or two, that you would desire to use to shape us in very particular ways. A life that could love us as a friend. A life that might covenant with us as a person. A life to whom we might connect our own life so that we can know that we are known by another person in depth and regularity. 
God, we pray that you would make spiritual friendships the reality of this church, the norm and not the exception. We pray it in the name of Jesus together. Amen.